From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. it is. The UK has left the European Union. 47 years of history brought to an end in the name of sovereignty and independence. Tonight, we are leaving the European Union. For many people, this is an astonishing moment of hope, a moment they thought would never come. That's the Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson, on the night of January 31st, when the United Kingdom officially left the European Union, three and a half years after millions of Brits voted to do so in 2016. It was a tremendous representation and celebration of sovereignty and self-determination, and many people throughout the UK agreed. Very patriotic. It's a real great feeling. Do things feel different to you today? Well, how they portrayed it to us uh, two years ago was that the whole island was going to sink if we came out. That's the only way I can look at it. You know, we were all gripping at 11 o'clock last night thinking, well, we're here, but hey-ho, you know, up and away, let's move on and let's get the job done. We are now a free and independent country once again. It's wonderful. And, of course, we can't move on without final parting words to the European Union from Brexit Party leader and member of the European Parliament, Nigel Farage. I want Brexit to start a debate across the rest of Europe. What do we want from Europe? If we want trade, friendship, cooperation, reciprocity, we don't need a European Commission. We don't need a European court. We don't need these institutions and all of this power. And I can promise you, both in UKIP and indeed in the Brexit party, we love Europe. We just hate the European Union. It's as simple as that. There's been a lot of noise from each side about what will happen if the UK leaves the European Union. So now that they've left, where do they stand? If you looked at the UK now, it would seem like the only thing that's changed is formality. So what is on the horizon for the UK, the European Union, and the rest of the world now that there has been a Brexit? What does it mean for the special relationship between the United States and the United Kingdom? What happens now that the UK has decided to allow Chinese telecom company Huawei to build their 5G network? Joining us this week is a friend of the show, Niall Gardner. He's the director of the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom and the Bernard and Barbara Lomas Fellow here at the Heritage Foundation. This week, he explains. Well, Niall, thank you so much for joining us again on Heritage Explains. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. 
So this was a really big deal when uh, when Brexit finally happened. We've covered it. We've interviewed you now a couple times on it, and each time I've I've actually gone to you as a source of uh, sanity with all this. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? So first off, thank you so much for your your confident, uh, resolute uh, persona throughout this entire experience. <laughs> well, th- thank you very much. I've always been confident about Brexit because. You know, Brexit is the the single biggest democratic decision in modern British history. The British people voted for Brexit. I was confident that eventually the British people would get Brexit, and they they have Brexit now. Uh, and you can never, um, you know, underestimate the 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 willpower of the British people. And the British people fought tooth and nail for Brexit, and and they finally have it delivered. But that that's because of the dedication, I think of the Brexiteers who fought tooth and nail to to deliver a, a democratic decision by 17.4 million Britons in, in June 2016 to get Britain out of the EU. Yeah, and, and if anyone uh, wants to track Brexit, you, you look no further than Niall's bio page on, on Heritage.org. It has every single TV appearance he does, and he does a lot of them. Uh, and his, as, as we said, his analysis is spot on. So, and, and we'll link to that in the show notes so you can log into that. So, But let's get into this. On, on February 1st, when, when Prime Minister Boris Johnson woke up, they left. They, they were out of the EU. What was his first order of business? Well, certainly Brexit was uh, a very exciting moment. In fact, I was I was in London actually for Brexit, uh, and I was there in Parliament Square as thousands of uh, Brexiteers uh, celebrated uh, Brexit. And the following day, the Prime Minister uh, immediately got uh, got down to work. Uh, and I think the top priority for the for the Prime Minister day one is to uh, get a. Uh, a free trade deal with the European Union, so that that's the number one priority for the British uh, British government. So the UK has entered into what is known as the transition period. That transition lasts until the end of 2020. During this time, the UK still remains part of the EU's single market and customs union. The UK still has to pay uh, large sums of money to the European Union until the end of this year. Hmm. This 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 was actually a. Um, uh, a deal negotiated originally by uh, Theresa May, the transition uh, okay. agreement. And and so uh, during the course of this transition, uh, the British government is going to negotiate a trade deal with the EU. The end of this year, the UK is completely out of the single market and customs union, which means that Britain can fully control its own borders, can sign its own uh, trade agreement, has full control of its own laws, uh, and uh, so certainly uh, December thirty uh, first, twenty twenty is going to be another very big day for the UK. So, so the Prime Minister's focus is very much upon getting that trade deal done with the EU uh, and ensuring the British people get a good deal uh, from it. Yeah, and I I know that through following this that the EU did not make uh, the Brexit very easy on the British people. Um, so can we imagine that they're not going to make this trade deal easy on the British people? Yeah, you can be sure that the uh, EU is going to make life as difficult as possible for the UK. Uh, there's a great deal of uh, mean-spiritedness coming from the European Union. Wow. A lot of unpleasant messaging, all sorts of threats coming from the EU. And the reason why EU officials are making these threats is because they want to send a warning to uh, any European member state of the EU that there are consequences for leaving the EU. And so... They do want to make things as difficult as possible for the United Kingdom. 
Uh, and so you can expect some very difficult negotiations to take place over the, the coming year. The negotiations on the UK side are going to be headed by David Frost, who is an extremely experienced uh, negotiator. He's been at the side of Boris Johnson for many years. Uh, he will, I'm sure, do a superb job. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, you know, the Europeans have to decide whether they want to have a constructive way forward, whether they want to get a deal that works for both the UK and for Europe. Yeah, so so let me just stop you. So what would a no deal look like? I think they have until, you said, December. So in December of 2020, if there's no deal, is, is that potential uh, devastation for the British and European economy? Well, I would say at the moment there's there's certainly a, a serious possibility of a no-deal Brexit at the end of this year, simply because the the European Union is is being so difficult. Okay. Um, but a no-deal Brexit, I don't think we should we should fear a no-deal Brexit. All that means is that the UK uh, trades with with Europe and the rest of the world under World Trade Organization rules. Okay. And so it's not a it's not the end of the world. Uh, in fact, a no-deal Brexit gives the UK a tremendous degree of of flexibility. And uh, Boris Johnson has made it clear that under no circumstances will he agree to an extension of the the transition period. In fact, it's written into British law that there can be no extension to the transition. And so it's deal or no deal. So the EU has a choice here, whether they want to get a good deal that, that actually works well for European companies, workers, uh, and governments, or whether they want to go down the no-deal scenario, which is certainly going to hurt the Europeans a lot more than it would hurt the British. Americans have almost entirely forgotten their history. That's right, and if we want to keep our republic, this needs to change. I'm Jarrett Stepman. And I'm Fred Lucas. We host The Right Side of History, a podcast dedicated to restoring informed patriotism and busting the negative narratives about America's past. Hollywood, the media, and academia have failed a generation. We're here to set the record straight on the ideas and people who've made this country great. Subscribe to The Right Side of History on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher today. What other issues does Britain have the opportunity to um, to use Brexit um, as a way of, of changing in, um, in, in Britain? I, I know that you've written on education. Is that is that something that has been impacted and will have an opportunity to um, make more conservative changes? Well, Brexit is a big game changer, I think, because um, you know Brexit gives Britain a return to full sovereignty and self determination and. As a member of the European Union, um, two-thirds of British law actually derives from Brussels. British courts uh, do not have sovereignty over British law. Um, Britain's parliament is not fully sovereign. Britain's foreign policy is not fully sovereign. And so in every single area, the UK has been tied down and and restricted and constrained by the European Union. So uh, I see Brexit as as a great liberating force for, uh, for Great Britain. It's the biggest single event in British history since the end of World War II. And so there are opportunities for the UK to uh, to really advance the cause of freedom uh, on every single uh, front, whether it's talking about uh, free trade, free markets, educational freedom. We've made some uh, major recommendations to the British government for uh, advancing freedom in the education sphere. Yeah. There, there's so much that can be done in the Brexit era. This is, this is a whole new era for Britain. And I think every single area of government policy should be re-examined, reassessed in light of Brexit, and and the British government needs to look at ways of of truly liberating 
the British people from the shackles of, of, the big, of big government and the state. Is this a wait and see for other countries in the EU as to whether or not they would consider a similar uh, Brexit? Um, are other countries considering leaving the EU or are they kind of waiting to see what happens? Yeah, I think that um, you know across Europe, uh, many many governments, European publics are looking at how Brexit is going to work out. If Brexit is a great success, then I think that could open the floodgates for other European countries to follow. This is what the European Union elites really fear. Right. If Brexit is a great success, then you could see other European countries implementing their own version of Brexit, maybe over the course of the next ten to twenty years. I don't think you're going to see uh, any European countries leaving the EU in the immediate term in the next five years or so. But the next decade, two decades, yeah, you could see a lot of change in uh, in in the EU because there's no limit to the spread of freedom and sovereignty and self-determination. This is what Brexit is all about. It's taking back control of Britain's destiny and its future, its own laws, its borders, its trade. And, and that's that's a very compelling case, I think, that can be made across Europe. Uh, I'm in no doubt Brexit is going to be a great success, and I think that other European countries will eventually follow suit. So leadership is everything, Niall. I mean, we know that um, Prime Minister Boris Johnson was the one to get it done, and you've you've praised him tremendously and his administration. You know that uh, many people in his administration very well. Do you think that Prime Minister Johnson will continue to lead as a Thatcher Conservative? Well, I hope so. Uh, I mean, certainly Boris Johnson is a big admirer of Margaret Thatcher and Winston Churchill. Um, there are different wings of the Conservative Party. Okay. There's a distinctly Thatcherite wing of the Conservative Party. There, there are others in the Conservative Party who are not Thatcherites. Hmm. And so there will be a battle for the heart and soul of the Conservative Party, I think, over the next uh, two or three years. I do hope that Boris Johnson goes down the same path that Margaret Thatcher took, the path of regeneration based upon... Uh, free markets, individual liberty, based upon the the idea that Britain's future lies upon the willingness of the British people to actually throw off the shackles of the state. And so I hope that Boris Johnson will um, will refuse to embrace those within the Conservative Party who want to see an ex- expansion of the state, th- those who wish to see the raising of taxes, for example. And, and I hope that he takes uh, a Thatcher-Reagan-style approach, cutting taxes, reducing red tape and regulation, advancing a tremendous free trade agenda on the world stage, uh, but above all, empowering the British people themselves uh, to seek their, seek a, a brighter future based upon the principles of individual liberty and freedom. And that's what conservatism is all about, really. Well, this has all been great uh, for for the U.S. and the U.K. to sort of take back a little bit more of sovereignty, as you've said, and then last week, as, as we covered on this episode, we saw the UK um, allowing um, Chinese uh, communications, telecommunications uh, company Huawei to build out uh, portions of their 5G network. And I know that you were spending time over there when this was announced and when it happened. And I'm wondering if you had any insight to lend as to, as to what the UK was thinking and, 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 and what that means for the special relationship. Yes, yeah, so the, the Huawei 5G issue is a very big issue for the UK. It's a big issue for the United States. It's a big issue for the special relationship. Uh, and uh, on uh, January the, the 28th, the UK National Security Council took the decision to allow uh, Huawei to play a lead role in building the UK's 5G network. Basically, Huawei will be given uh, a 
uh, capped uh, uh, limit in terms of its involvement. But that that's a huge role, actually, in the development of 5G. Right. And I was in London last week. I, I held a series of meetings with British officials, members of parliament, and my message was uh, was always the same message, that the Huawei decision is a big mistake for the UK. It's very damaging, I think, for... Britain's national security is damaging as well for the uh, for the UK-US special relationship. Uh, and uh, we've strongly urged the British government to rethink this decision, to reverse course, and to remove Huawei from the UK networks. And the reason why the British government w- went down this route is that Huawei has already, uh, you know, spread itself very deeply into the UK's um, uh, mobile technology networks. Uh, it, played, it played a key role in building the the 2G, 3G, and 4G networks. Uh, previous British governments made a huge mistake in allowing this. There was very little parliamentary scrutiny of what was going on. Boris Johnson had a big call to make, a big decision to make. He he ultimately took the wrong decision on this. We've been urging Boris to to really rethink this and do what is what is best actually for the security of the British people. Huawei is an extremely dangerous state-owned entity. Uh, basically operated by the Chinese uh, government. It will be used as a huge a spying operation in the UK. It cannot be trusted. Yeah. Uh, and um, we've we've encouraged our closest friends and allies in the UK to take a step back, rethink this. There's still time for the Prime Minister to reverse course. Do you think they are rethinking it? I think that the, the British government has been um, taken aback by the sheer weight of, uh, of American opposition. Okay. They underestimated the U.S. response. They underestimated the parliamentary reaction. There are a lot of conservative MPs who are very unhappy about this. There's a parliamentary rebellion brewing against it. Also, public opinion is strongly against it as well. And so this is a, uh, this is a huge strategic error of judgment by the British government. There's still time to, uh, to reverse it. And I hope the prime minister is going to listen to the, the mounting calls from, uh, from this side of the Atlantic here in the United States, but also at home in the UK among conservative MPs who are saying this is a really bad decision. Let's, let's rethink it and, and, and reverse it. Well, you've been a, a strong tower, a harbinger in this entire Brexit process. I, I imagine you've been very influential over there as you've been influential over here uh, in the U.S. And so I imagine this will be another issue that you can uh, have an impact on now. So thank you so much for doing that. Congratulations on Brexit. And thank we look you. forward to keeping, uh, keeping in touch with you throughout this. Well, many thanks. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank you. And that's it for another episode of Heritage Explains. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. I've linked to all of Niall's work, as well as our previous episodes on Brexit in the show notes. So head on over there if you want to learn more. Remember, you can always email us at managingeditor at heritage.org. And don't forget, please don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a comment. Or more importantly, please share our podcast with your friends and family. I'll be back next week to talk all things flu season. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad.